Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Today on Not Sam Wrestling, Isaiah Swerve Scott joins us. We have so much to talk about coming off of TLC. From new champions to a man being set on fire. This is Not Sam Wrestling. is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Could you hear the glee in my voice? Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Happy Monday, everybody. Not quite the last Not Sam Wrestling of 2020, but we're getting there. Happy uh, holidays. This is a big holiday week for everybody, so I hope everybody's getting ready to Spend some great time with their family. Look, 2020 has been an incredible year in the WWE. Yes, we've missed live audiences. Yes, we've missed being in arenas full of people. But who would have thought walking into 2020 that this would be the year that we would not only watch a a legend's eye get gouged out of his skull, But we would also watch one of our most beloved characters literally set on fire. And I don't mean Kane set on fire, Inferno matches arm. I mean turned into a human torch set on fire. I mean, we watched watched a WWE legend commit murder, felony, arsony. On TLC, it was amazing. There is one lesson here, and that is when we walk into a pay-per-view with very low expectations, they are very often exceeded. At least mine are. You know, we walked into TLC, and we'll, we'll address all of it. We walked into TLC, I think, without a lot of hype. This is not a pay-per-view that, in my opinion, had been... Uh, advertised well in the sense that we knew it was happening, but the matches themselves, the stories behind the matches, I think a lot of them had not been fully developed. And one of them was the Firefly, Funhouse, Arson, Inferno match between Randy Orton and Bray Wyatt. We knew Randy Orton and The Fiend were going to have a match. But this week, I think, is when most of us found out that it was going to be a Firefly-Inferno match. And we were literally on our Patreon Zoom meeting at patreon.com slash wrestling. We do a Zoom before all these pay-per-views. And we were debating whether this was going to be a cinematic match, whether it would be a traditional Inferno match. And the answer was, while it wasn't a traditional Inferno match, it was absolutely a traditional Thunderdome match. They could just kind of have the Inferno go a little bit wider than a traditional Inferno match. The Fiend ends the match. Going into this match, I go, 
oh, okay, well, if you're doing the match by Inferno match rules, it's an easy way for The Fiend to pick up a loss. The Fiend is a character that should never be beaten. Goldberg, I'm talking to you. The Fiend should never be defeated. He's that type of a character. He should never be pinned. He should never be submitted. Nothing like that. But if you're in an Inferno match, look, when you got fire all over the place and you're a careless, reckless, insane villain, odds are you might find yourself on fire. You know what I mean? The Joker didn't lose all that often, but he also didn't leave without a few scratches because he was nuts. He didn't put his own safety as a priority. And I don't think that The Fiend puts his safety above harming others. So the idea that The Fiend uh, would lose this Inferno match was not only not lost on me, but a probability to me. There were many great moments. I loved uh, the trail of gasoline leading to the chair, almost like a, like a, the plane in Die Hard 2 where that trail of gasoline is going from the wing, and that's all I could think of as Randy Orton sat unresponsive in that rocking chair and the and the flaming line started approaching him closer and closer. I thought, no, I've seen how this plays out. There's going to be a massive explosion. Luckily, Randy Orton, for his sake, got out of there. But the match ends, I mean, brilliantly. Let's Let's not pretend this is something that it wasn't. It ended brilliantly. The Fiend gets set on fire. And I mean, not a little bit of fire. He was very much on fire. Now, clearly, he left his jacket on throughout the whole match because this was a possibility. But I thought it was a very good uh, additional thing that Randy Orton wrestled in a full sweatsuit. If The Fiend had left his jacket on throughout the whole match and Randy were just wrestling in his trunks, it would almost be like, why are we even bothering? We know how this is going to go. The fact that Randy wore a full sweatsuit and The Fiend covered up his arms, it made it so you could say either one of them was doing it. But but once they both did it, it became logical that the psychology of this match would be that both of those characters would cover their bodies because there's all this real, real hot fire around them. Now, we learned from the interview that we did with The Undertaker and Kane on the Not Sam Wrestling on the WWE Network show that it's like impossible to breathe in a traditional Inferno match because the ring gets so hot because the flames are so close to you and it's just sucking all the oxygen in and just pumping heat out. So it's probably a little easier to do this match with the flames a little bit further away from you behind the barricades, but still not an easy thing to pull off. Um, but seeing the Fiend lock on the mandible claw, Randy Orton pushes him back towards the open flame. The Fiend's entire back and his arms and the back of his legs, he is on fire. And this ain't a prop Fiend because he then runs into the ring to attack Randy Orton. See, this is the part, the the, the ending ending was so sensational that I almost feel like we're not going to give enough credit to the part that we saw right before it, which was Randy Orton pulled off RKOing the Fiend while the Fiend was on fire. I think we give credit to both the Fiend and to Randy Orton for it. You should see me at a birthday party trying to light a candle, staying away from that open flame on the match. I'm so scared of it. I don't want to burn my little fingertipsies. 
trying to get away from it. It's so hot. I don't like it. I don't like hot. And I'm sitting there watching the fiend Bray Wyatt, who if you look at this dude, he must just lift and eat and lift and eat and lift and eat because he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But you have a 300 plus, plus pound mass of humanity charging your way and you RKO that man? Kudos. Kudos. The Fiend hits the ground. And Randy Orton is staring at him. He's kicking him. I figured, you know, we're going horror movie on this and it's going to be a jump scare. Randy Orton kicks him and then the Fiend jumps up, gives him a mandible claw. Technically, Randy Orton wins because the Fiend was on fire when he got RKO'd. But the Fiend still somehow stands and the commentary goes, I don't believe it. He got an RKO while he was on fire and the Fiend still stands strong. But that's not how it ended at all. I was way off on my predictable guess, my pessimistic predictable guess. Because uh, what happens is Randy checks to see if the Fiend is, is responsive. The Fiend is not responsive as a flaming RKO will do that to you. And Randy turns around, he gets the gasoline canister that was used to light that rocking chair on fire. Still got some gasoline in there. He pours gasoline all over the Fiend. He finds a special match in that matchbox. Just the right size to light a giant monster on fire. (laughs) Then he throws the match. And the body just goes up in flames. Now, I've heard, we're not even going to address, right? The whole like, well, it was a dummy. Like, I can't, I can't with you guys. If you're sitting there on the internet pointing out it was not really him. Oh, really? Thanks, man. I appreciate you pointing that out. Or I read one that like, well, you could do that in an empty arena. There's a, you, you say, you say a phrase, right? I could literally set a man on fire and you wouldn't be impressed. It happened tonight. That's what happened. And there's still people going like, yeah, well, you know, it's easy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It isn't. So the other question is, well, how does the fiend come back from this? The fiend burned to death as we left TLC. The visual that we left on was the fiend's face literally caving in from the amount of flames that were on it. It was incredible. I love professional wrestling. People are like, oh, you like wrestling. Do you like any other sports? No, because there are no other sports where the villains get set on fire. (laughs) Who wants to watch that? You spend the whole season building up what a villain Dennis Rodman is. And you get to the championship game and nobody sets anybody on fire. What a waste of everyone's time. Here? Fire. I turned into Beavis from Beavis and Butthead. Fire, fire, fire. It was, it was awesome. So I've said from the beginning, from the beginning of The Fiend, I've said this is a horror movie monster. When I did my show on the WWE Network about uh, 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 not inspiration, influence, I talked about the influence. I said that, that when you look at horror movies, The Fiend is probably most like Jason Voorhees, where Kane has a very Michael Myers quality to him in the sense that there is a villain behind that mask, but the mask starts to represent everything. 
because you can't possibly figure out what could be behind that mask. There, there's something human behind that mask, but it just seems like it's just darkness. Like there's just an evil essence behind the mask. That's Kane and Michael Myers. Jason Voorhees is a straight up killing machine monster. Sometimes he moves slow and methodically. Sometimes he goes real, real fast. Nothing kills him. He's not alive, but he's not dead. And there is nothing that you can do that will satiate him. There is no reasoning. There is nothing that you can give him or nothing that you can do for him that will stop him from killing. I made these comparisons between The Fiend and Jason Voorhees, not only because this is the most horror movie monster we've ever had in WWE, right down to the fact that Tom Savini, icon of the genre, designed his mask and the title that he wore as champion. But also because of the way we react to him. I don't have any time. The same people that say, well, The Fiend's a heel are the ones that, like, the people who think on that simple level are the same ones that don't think on a level with enough depth to understand that the Edge versus Randy Orton greatest wrestling match of all time was a conceptual piece. It was, like, the, the person that will say The Fiend is a heel and just leave it at that is the same person that will say, well, I don't know if the greatest wrestling match of all time was the greatest match of all time. There were some better, but it was pretty good. Like, you one-note, simple plebeian. I don't have time to have this conversation with you. So if that's where you're at right now, click, turn it off, don't subscribe, don't leave a review on iTunes, none of it. I don't, don't leave a rating, I don't care. But if you are ready to think a little bit deeper, then follow me, if you will. The Fiend is not a traditional heel. But he's not a traditional babyface. The same way Jason Voorhees is not a traditional villain in movies. You go to a Friday the 13th movie, and yes, Jason Voorhees, for all intents and purposes, is the bad guy. Jason Voorhees is killing innocent people. Jason Voorhees is hunting down people that you would relate to most. But nobody, nobody goes to a Friday the 13th movie going, I sure hope they kill Jason. Nobody is happy when Jason gets defeated. Everybody is thrilled to find out that he's coming back for another movie. You cheer when there's a great Jason kill. You don't cheer when Jason finally gets his. You know why? Because even though Jason is a villain, and even though G Jason is, is, is committing cardinal sins, he's still cool and interesting and fun to watch. And, and it's this, this id of, it, side of you that is just emotion and reactive. On some level, you wish, you wish on a whim. You could just take a camper in a sleeping bag and tie the end of it up and just smash it against a tree. On some level, not literally. And that's The Fiend. Whether The Fiend is... is wrestling Goldberg or Seth Rollins or Randy Orton or The Miz, anyone. The Fiend could steal The Miz's baby. He broke into The, Miz, the, the Miz's house and left a, a toy in the baby's crib. 
He violated the very sanctity of the Mizanin family. And nobody wants to see the Miz get revenge on the Fiend. Nobody wants to see the Miz defeat the Fiend. On some sick, perverse level, we all want to see the Fiend win. We all want to see the Fiend continue. We all want to see the Fiend develop. Because we're interested. The same way we go to horror movies and we don't actually want the monster to die. We don't want the monster to die. That's why The Fiend could never be a traditional wrestling heel because he's not a traditional wrestling character. He's a horror movie character. So, yes, you know, there, there are some characters in wrestling that beating them is terrible for the character. You buried the character, right? If, if Keith Lee loses to... <sighs> I don't know. I don't want to insult it. If James Ellsworth comes back, and I don't want all due respect to James Ellsworth, but we know the character that James Ellsworth was. If he comes back and he gets a clean victory over Keith Lee in three minutes, well, you just buried the Keith Lee character. But if the fiend is set on fire and burned to a crisp, not only have we not buried the fiend character, we've only made it stronger. There was a conversation going on in the Not Sam Wrestling Patreon Discord room. How does the fiend come back from this? How does the fiend not come back from this? He just comes back. He's the fiend. I mean, look, when you bend, when you start bending the rules of logic for a character, you can't then take other rules of logic and apply it to the character. The fiend disappears and reappears at will. The fiend literally just appeared in the middle of a ring while his opponent had his finisher on him. The lights went out and the lights came back on and Randy Orton is laying on top of the Fiend. Randy Orton threw Bray Wyatt from the funhouse in a box and locked it and lit it on fire. And then the Fiend popped out of the flaming box. If the Fiend can just appear in a locked flaming box... Don't you think the fiend can just appear after getting burned to a crisp? And whether it's because Alexa Bliss does a, 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 a seance and brings the fiend back, whether it's because the Miz goes into a bathroom with the lights off and looks in the mirror and says the fiend three times in a row, whether it's because a, 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 a bolt of electricity courses through the Thunderdome and somehow hits the burned carcass of the fiend and brings him back to life. It could be any number of things. It doesn't, it, it doesn't matter at this point. We've developed a character that can survive this, okay? And people go, well, that's ridiculous. Big deal. 1994, January. I'm 10 years old. I love The Undertaker, man. Love The Undertaker. And Yokozuna and Crush and Jeff Jarrett and the Head Shrinkers and Adam Bomb and Big Daddy Cool and Bam Bam Bigelow and every bad guy in WWE beat up The Undertaker and then they all jump on top of a casket and they lock him inside and the unthinkable has happened. Yokozuna has defeated The Undertaker in a casket match. Then... Green smoke begins to billow out of the casket. Somehow there's a camera inside the casket. The Undertaker starts to cut a promo. 
Electric bolts light the sky. And the Undertaker ascends to the heavens. Like, I guess, up to the roof of the arena, then through the arena, and then into the heavens. And then eight months later, he returned to the WWE to have a match against another Undertaker. Okay? And guess what? I just described to you a year in the life of the greatest wrestling character that's ever been created. Okay? That's The Undertaker. Now I know. The Fiend is not The Undertaker, Sam. What are you, crazy? That's sacrilegious. And that's fine. He's not. However, The Undertaker was not The Undertaker in 1994 either. But regardless of The Undertaker, like we've already set the ground rules for this character. If, if you can't accept the character from the jump, then fine. Don't accept the character from the jump. But you can't dip a toe in, okay? We just saw a monster get lit on fire. Like, and I mean, his whole face got burned off. It was great. It was great. I believe The Fiend will be back. I, 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 I think that this will change the Randy Orton character, obviously. I mean... Imagine you're getting ready to face Randy Orton in a traditional wrestling match, and you know that the last guy that this guy beat, he, well, he burned him to death. <laughs> That's going to do a number on you psychologically. I don't want to wrestle that guy, to tell you the truth. I don't trust him. Well, why don't you trust him? He's a professional. I know he's a professional, but he soaked a guy in gasoline and lit him on fire, and that was after the match. There was no reason. He had already won. He had already won the match. I think it was the best Randy Orton-Bray Wyatt match I've ever seen. That's for sure. That's for sure. Look, TLC was a super interesting show. Like I said, the thing that you have to remember is that historically, when WWE doesn't promote their pay-per-views so good, they make up for it. When the, when the build of the pay-per-view has been meh, you get to the pay-per-view and you're like, oh, it's just all good matches? I mean, let's go over this card. The The Roman Reigns-Kevin Owens match was very good, and the reason it was is because all of the Kevin Owens false ladder climbs, all of his attempts to get the title that were stopped, they all looked real. He wasn't climbing slowly for no reason. He wasn't taking his sweet time to get to the ladder. He wasn't doing any wrestling tricks. He just looked like a guy that was going as fast as he can to get the championship. It looked as though if somebody had not stopped him, he would have gotten the title, which is the way everybody should perform in ladder matches like that. It's up to the other guy to stop you, and you trust that the person that you're working with or people that you're working with, in Kevin Owens' case, are going to be where they're supposed to be, and they are. I think there's a real interesting thing happening. First of all, it does open us up. I believe there will be another uh, Kevin Owens-Roman Reigns match. And... I think there's a real, real interesting thing happening with the Roman Reigns story. When the story first started, it was very much about the Anawai family, the Samoan dynasty of wrestling. We saw a little bit of that in the trailer for the Yokozuna documentary that's coming out on the 31st of January, which I can't wait to get my eyes on. Yokozuna is the greatest of all time. But 
as uh, I believe I've said before here on this podcast, I know I've talked about it with the Patreon folks at uh, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, is that at some point you run out of Samoans. You run out of Anawaii family members that have gained significant credibility in the WWE, credibility enough that we as fans uh, can be made to care about a pay-per-view main event, that, that we as fans can believe that this person may be able to take down Roman Reigns. So if you look uh, at the at the build-up to the Kevin Owens-Roman uh, Reigns match, the narrative shifted. It shifted on the episode of SmackDown where Roman beat up Kevin Owens in the locker room, uh, and it has shifted since in in the various interviews that Paul Heyman has done, whether it be on Talking Smack, uh, I think on The Bump, right before the pay-per-view he was talking about it, and the Roman Reigns head of the table position, the Roman Reigns, I am responsible for the food that's in your mouth and the food that's in your family's mouths. The reason you're able to make the living that you're able to is because I'm here. That narrative is being shifted outside of just the Anawaii family and being sent towards the entire WWE. I mean, you could say the entire SmackDown roster, but let's be honest. I mean, I think that the same logic would hold true for Raw, NXT, wherever. I mean, he, he it's because WWE is what it is, in Roman Reigns' opinion, because of Roman Reigns. And I think that that's a logical progression for the character. I think it's a very, very good place to be. It, it, it evolves the character to a very significant point. Uh, and, it, and it makes it so that it's not so limited. It makes it so that this character can continue to move after he's gone past this place where it's like, okay, I mean, there's no getting around it. Afa and Sika, they put the lay on him. You're the head of the Samoan dynasty family table. So now that that's been established, where are we going from there? We're not doing The Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And even if we were, who's going to take up Roman? Are we going to just do Roman versus Jey Uso from now until April? No. So the progression of this story into Roman, I mean, and, and this is a thing, like Roman is one of these athletes who feels responsible for the success of the organization that they work for. Roman is one of these football players that thinks that he's bigger than the NFL. Roman is one of these basketball players that think he's, thinks that he's bigger than the NBA. You know, when Michael Jordan was playing, every single player in that league was able to make more money because Michael Jordan was in the league. Today, every single player that's in the NBA is able to make more money because LeBron James is in that league because he brings eyes. He makes the NBA richer. Those riches get passed down to the rest of the players that are in the league. So Roman is taking credit for that. And I think that makes sense from a character perspective. And uh, uh, I think it's a fun road to go down. Um, I also like that Roman does not win his matches clean ever. You know, that it's always a low blow. There's always interference. There's all of this stuff. And that's because if you make him look too much like the Terminator, if you make him look like too much of a badass, he's going to get cheered. The only thing that may allow him to still get booed, and it'll be very interesting to see once we get in front of fans again, which won't be that long. You know, that uh, 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 vaccine is out there. So, I mean, we're talking... It'll, we're way past the halfway point, I believe, of having no fans in buildings. But if Roman were to win clean all the time and just 
you know, plow through everybody, then there'd be no reason not to cheer him. Because he's got this ego, but he's right. The fact that he's, you know, having cheap victories, that now he's holding people down. Now he's trying to maintain his spot, which is not a flattering characteristic, which is what you want out of a guy that you want people to boo. Uh, I love what's going on with uh, Cedric Alexander. Uh, I think it was high time for the Hurt Business to get more gold. I love the Hurt Business having all the titles. And um, and I, so I wanted the Hurt Business to win going in. I think it's it's time to elevate the Hurt Business. They've been... All told, one of, if not the strongest acts of 2020. You know, it was when 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 there was nobody in those buildings and Raw was just being performed in an empty performance center. The Hurt Business was one of the few acts that were making compelling television. They continue to make compelling television. Hurt Business, I believe that there was an audience there would be baby faces already because they'd be getting cheered. Having all the titles... And MVP as a spokesperson is exactly where the Hurt Business should be right now and where they deserve to be. Uh, adding in the element of Cedric Alexander being a little too big for his britches, but being successful. So what are you going to do, complain? Very juicy. Very, very juicy. Very good storytelling. When he tags in Shelton Benjamin, the blind tag, and Shelton is like, what are you doing? I had this match won. But then he goes in and they won. So they still won the tag titles. So Shelton can't go and complain about it now. But it's one of those things that if this hadn't worked, you would have ruined everything. Yeah, but it did work. So, and it's like, we're, we're starting to sow those seeds. Speaking of sowing those seeds, we saw the return of Charlotte Flair at TLC, which I don't think was a surprise. I think that that was uh, high on the possibility of a lot of people's lists. I'm going to talk to you about Charlotte and then I'm going to talk to you about what I think should have happened. So, Charlotte Flair comes back. She teams with Asuka. Um, there was no doubt in my mind the minute Charlotte walked out, Asuka and Charlotte are leaving with the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. I think that we all see it coming a mile away, that they're going to have a, a, a good run as the most dominant tag team champions ever until the tag team dissolves and we go to WrestleMania with Asuka versus Charlotte, which I think is a great plan. I think that's the way it should go. I think it's it's predictable, and that's fine. Every now and then, you can do a predictable storyline. There are some spots where every storyline is predictable. I don't agree with that. But even if they're logical. But every now and then, I'm okay with it. And this is one of the ones that I'm okay with. Um, and you got a tiny little dose, I thought. First of all, people, the two-man power trip, was one of the greatest short-lived tag teams ever. Stone Cold Steve Austin as a villain and Triple H as a team, just controlling everything in WWE. The idea of a team coming together with the two top stars in the division that's so powerful that it's like it becomes that video game character that you're not allowed to use in the game because all your friends are like, that. you might as well be cheesing at that point. It's not fun anymore because you can't beat that character. That's what the two-man power trip was. And this is the 2020-2021 equivalent of the two-man power trip. And I like the idea of not changing the pronoun. I say they, I think they should go with the name. We are the two-man power trip. We are the number one force in women's wrestling in the world, not in WWE, in all the world. Nobody can beat us. Nobody's ready for Charlotte, and nobody is ready for Asuka. And they go on until one day, 
they're in a match with, you know, the, and this is how the titles end up. Because, I mean, for a while, the titles are out of circulation now. There's no tag team that's going to be able to beat Charlotte and Asuka. The only way those, those, the only way the tag team championship goes back into circulation is when eventually Asuka goes for the tag and Charlotte is not there to respond to it. Eventually, Asuka goes for the tag and Charlotte is nowhere to be found. Charlotte leaves Asuka high and dry and the Riot Squad or Peyton and Lacey or whoever's teaming at that point. I wish it was the Iconics, but don't get me started on that. Is able to beat Asuka in a two-on-one scenario because Charlotte turned her back on Asuka. Sid Justice, Hulk Hogan, Saturday night's main event, 1992. Look it up. WWE Network, 999. That is where it'll go, I believe. And I believe that at TLC... We saw this little tiny hint of it. There was one moment where Asuka went for the tag and Charlotte did something really interesting. It was actually a very cool spot because Shayna Baszler was running over to pull Charlotte down, but Charlotte saw her. So as Asuka was going for the tag, Charlotte jumped off the apron and boom, cocked Shayna Baszler to stop Shayna from stopping that from happening. Then Charlotte jumped back on the apron and tagged in Asuka. But there was this split second where I thought, and I don't know if you caught it too, oh my gosh, Charlotte is turning on Asuka. Charlotte is not going to be there for Asuka to tag her. I believe that that was foreshadowing. I believe that that exact thing will happen, except there will be no Shayna Baszler that Charlotte is trying to defend herself from. She will simply be jumping away from the tag and leaving Asuka high and dry. But in the meantime, I thought it was great. I think uh, here's where I would have gone, though. I love this storyline. I thought of it when I was thinking, well, we had a discussion. Every Thursday, we do a bonus Not Sam Wrestling podcast at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. It's called Thursday, Not Sam Thursday. And on it, I interact with the people that are in the Patreon-exclusive Discord room. And... The questions were coming up. Who do you think is going to be Asuka's mystery partner? And my first guess was, it'll probably be Charlotte. And it'll play out exactly as I just played it out for you guys just now. But it could be Asuka. I mean, but it could be Lana. And somebody was like, what if it's Lana, but she's the Luchadoras or whatever the, you know, Mickey James thing was when Mickey James came back under a mask to help Alexa Bliss a few years back. And boom, it hit me like a ton of bricks. It's inspiration. Here is exactly what I think needs to happen with Lana. Lana is in a tough spot. The payoff has not happened with Lana. Lana got put through a table nine weeks in a row. Technically, she won at Survivor Series, but she won by just standing on the ring step, doing what she was told and crying about it. She wasn't strong enough to make it to TLC. There is no reason in the world that Lana should have any confidence in herself. And what happens when somebody doesn't have confidence in themselves? They go to their safe space. What happens when a little kid has no confidence? They grab their security blanket. What happened in Big Daddy when the little kid wasn't confident enough to meet people? He got invisible sunglasses. Let's give Lana 
invisible sunglasses. Here's what I'm thinking. Give Lana a mask, but do not make it seem like we do not know this is Lana. Maybe Lana comes out and attacks Nia Jax while she's wearing a mask and she gets the best of Nia Jax. She kicks the garbage out of Nia Jax. She's just a machine and she's masked. And the commentators can even say, well, that, I mean, that really looks like Lana. You could even have an L on the mask or whatever. I mean, you, uh, you probably get there, not at first, but you can get there. Point is, she came out to attack Nia Jax with a mask on because she didn't want people to know who she was, but we all knew who she was. All of a sudden, she realizes how confident she feels. And she starts having matches with the mask on. That's when we put like an L on the mask and it's Lana, but she's wearing a mask. And when Lana has the mask on, she is the most confident person in the world and the most competent professional wrestler you've ever seen. She's dropping Hurricane Lana's left and right. She's just tearing opponents limb from limb. She never loses when she's got that mask on. She barely takes any offense when she's got that mask on and she just doles out punishment. But, but if you get that mask off Lana, she is a wounded puppy. She becomes the same person that would stand on the staircase outside the ring and cry at Survivor Series because you told her to. So the goal of opponents now becomes when you're in this match with Lana to get the mask off her face. But you can't because she's doling such a beating out to you that it becomes impossible. But there are there it finally happens in a match. Nia Jax rips off Lana's mask mid-match. And Lana just starts shaking. And then Nia Jax just lays a beating on her and pins her. One, two, three. But Lana gets the mask back. She puts the mask back on. Now, next match, as long as she can keep the mask on, she can destroy Nia Jax. You make the mask the thing that brings Lana power. But you don't do it like a comic book. You don't make it like it's this magical, mystical mask. You don't make it, you don't make any of it. You just explain that this is her comfort blanket. This is her safe space. This is what she needs to feel confident. And when Lana feels confident, sorry, I hit the microphone, I'm excited. When Lana feels confident, and when Lana feels worthy, and when Lana feels strong, she's the best. But when Lana doesn't feel confident, she's like a wounded animal. And that's why she puts that mask on. Because it gives her the confidence that she lost somewhere along the way. That's my idea for Lana. That's my idea for Lana. If you like it, spread the word. Make sure people hear it. Maybe tell Pat Buck or something. I don't know who you can tell. But that, to me, is how you pay off Lana getting put through a table nine times and then crying at Survivor Series. Boom. Done. Now, let's get... And by the way, Carmella's incredible. Carmella's incredible and underrated, uh, and she does outrageously good character work. The match with Sasha Banks was very good. Carmella's very underrated. Let's get to the opener. Let's get to the uh, AJ Styles-Drew McIntyre match. I think that might have been the best match on the show, AJ versus Drew. It was incredible. You know, not a shock. I mean, look, it's a real problem that we weren't, singing from the rooftops that we're about to witness a Drew McIntyre, AJ Styles, WWE Championship ladder match. 
Everybody should have known that. It should have been what we were all talking about for the last two weeks. Oh, my God, we're about to see this amazing thing. But at the end of Raw last week when they had the Ascension ceremony, I forgot it was even happening. And that's a problem. But we get to the match, and it's everything you could possibly want it to be. AJ Styles, the bumps that he's doing at this point in his career, are outrageous, incredible, unbelievable. The Miz comes out. And he cashes in. It's official. Gives him the briefcase. The announcement is, is made. Triple threat. Before he cashes in, uh, he and Morrison put Drew McIntyre through a table. Powerbomb him. AJ Styles is already knocked to the outside. So, The Miz, for some reason, unknown to me, decides to wait at the foot of the ladder until the announcement gets made that this match is now a triple threat match. Not only does he wait for the announcement to get made, he waits for the announcement to get all the way through before he even starts climbing. Why wouldn't you climb all the way to the top of the ladder and then as soon as the bell rings, which signifies this is now a triple threat match, just unhook the title and be done with it. You don't need to climb... There's nothing in the rule, even if you don't climb a ladder, if you have the ability to jump to the ceiling and get the title off that way, you don't actually need to climb a ladder. All you need to do is be in possession of the title. There are literally examples of the title falling and somebody catching it and they win even though they didn't climb the ladder. You don't need to wait until the bell rings before you climb the ladder. That's insane. It's not a rule. So I don't know what the Miz was thinking uh, and almost stopped him. The bodyguard of AJ Styles almost stopped him Miz and plopped him through a table. And I thought immediately, oh, no. Now, the match got even better after the Miz entered it. Uh, the false finishes that we had, the who's going to win, the high drama of the last few minutes of that match were insane, were so, so great. And I completely get as well trying to make Drew McIntyre look like as much of a hero as possible. I think some focus was lost on that uh, earlier this year. And, you know, we wanted to see Drew McIntyre beat two guys definitively to win this match when he wasn't even prepared to face both of them. And that's what we saw. I thought Drew McIntyre came off looking like a million bucks. I thought Drew McIntyre came off looking really strong. And I 100% understand why you would want Drew McIntyre in that position. I also 100% understand how you're left in a position where the Money in the Bank briefcase went from Otis to The Miz, and you're still in a position where there is no clear path to have this briefcase cashed in. Maybe when you were flirting a couple of months ago with the title being lost and Randy Orton won the title for a month, I don't think we really talk about that anymore. But Randy Orton won the title for a month. Maybe then it could have flipped over to The Miz. But once Drew McIntyre won the title back and he had that match with Roman Reigns at Survivor Series and the way that Drew McIntyre has been treated for the last, you know, month, month and a half, there's no way The Miz is beating him. And the way that Roman Reigns has been treated since SummerSlam, there's no way The Miz is beating him. So there is no immediate clear path for The Miz to cash in that briefcase. Now, keep in mind, the briefcase technically doesn't have to be cashed in until May, but 
there's no clear path leading all the way up until April because the closer to WrestleMania you get, the more likely you are that the if you cash in in February, you probably have to go to WrestleMania as the champion. If there's no clear path to being the champion at the end of December going into January, then there's no clear path until April because you're not going to WrestleMania with the title, which means you've got three weeks after WrestleMania before the briefcase becomes null and void. So I also understand why you're in this position where the Miz can't have a successful cash-in. I get it. But all that said, there is nothing that infuriates me more than an unsuccessful Money in the Bank cash-in. When it was like, oh, I didn't, I thought he was going to be successful with that. That was one thing. The first time, the second time it happened, oh, wow, wild. But now, I mean, I should have done the math before I sat down to do the podcast, but I was watching this wrestling pay-per-view before I sat down to do this podcast. But I would say odds are heavily in favor that you're not going to become the WWE champion. Like, the next time a WWE announcer tells you, well, the winner of the Money in the Bank briefcase has a, 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 is basically guaranteeing that they are going to become the WWE champion. You point to them in the face and say, you're a liar. You're a filthy, dirty, rotten liar. Because that's not true. They're still, I mean, they're going to get a title match at some point, but there's still only like a 50% shot that they'll be successful. The whole point in having the Money in the Bank briefcase is that somebody who you wouldn't expect to be champion is going to be champion. It's for guys like Daniel Bryan. It's for guys like Edge. It's for guys like CM Punk who you're sitting there going, that guy is not going to be the champion. And you can just have a moment where it finally happens. And you should have done it for Otis earlier. You should have done it for Otis. Otis should have been the champion before Roman came back. Honestly, Otis should have been the champion instead of the Fiend. There, I said it. Otis should have been the champion instead of Bray Wyatt getting that second run. Otis should have been the one that won that title. Because if Otis had won the title, then you have re-inspired the spirit of the money in the bank briefcase means that a person who you don't think will ever be champion is going to be the champion. Next year at money in the bank, if somebody wins that briefcase and I look at them and I go, I wouldn't think that they are going to be the champion then I'm going to look at that and say, well, they're not going to cash it in successfully. So who cares? Who cares? The money in the bank as a premise only works if you're almost definitely going to win the title. When Seth Rollins cashed the briefcase in at WrestleMania 31, the reason that it was so thrilling is because you were like, oh my God, I think Seth Rollins is going to win the championship tonight. When Seth Rollins cashed in the Money in the Bank briefcase at WrestleMania 31, it had everybody on their feet because the main event that they did not want to see between Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns was being disrupted and the champion that they wanted crowned in the first place, or at least one of them, was actually going to walk out with the title. And so from the minute he cashed in, everybody's on their feet. If that exact same cash-in happens, 
at WrestleMania 38 instead of WrestleMania 31, the one that's come or 37, I guess 37 is the one that's coming up. Yeah. If that exact same cash in happens at WrestleMania 37, nobody thinks Seth Rollins is winning the title. And it's like, oh, okay. Like it's interesting, but it doesn't feel the same at all. At all. The money in the bank briefcase has been devalued a lot because I don't believe that the person who's got it is going to cash it in successfully unless it's like John Cena or Brock Lesnar that has the briefcase who would have won the title anyway. I think that it is very important that you not only have somebody unconventional win the money in the bank briefcase, but it is also very important that they win the championship from it because otherwise they got a fluke victory in a ladder match. Otis is not better off for winning the Money in the Bank briefcase because he didn't win the title. He's not better off for it. Damian Sandow wasn't better off for it. None of the people who cashed in unsuccessfully are better off for... When Braun Strowman wasn't better off for winning the briefcase and not cashing it in successfully it doesn't it doesn't help if you're not successful and matter of fact you kind of look like a like a dingus if you can't cash it in successfully because there should be an opportunity to do that it shouldn't be that difficult i should be able to cash the money in the bank briefcase in and, and win the wwe championship i mean the rules are so stacked in my favor the fact that a guy who's been the champion before who's been in the company for all these years can't figure out how to beat Drew McIntyre with every rule possible stacked in your favor. I don't think it bodes well for the briefcase. However, I do think that it bodes well for Drew McIntyre. And maybe that's one of those things where you just go, well, I value Drew McIntyre more than I value the money in the bank concept. And look, the ladder matches are always going to be fun. You're always going to enjoy the money in the bank pay-per-views. You're always going to enjoy seeing who wins. But having that briefcase in play is not nearly as exciting when you know there's a pretty strong likelihood that the winner won't get the title. I understand why, especially in this case, but it doesn't take away from my overarching opinion. Now, I want you to keep in mind that um, there will be a new episode of Not Sam Wrestling on the WWE Network this week. I know it's Christmas week. As a matter of fact, Thursday is Christmas Eve. And Christmas Eve at 10 a.m., you're going to get a new episode of Not Sam Wrestling on the WWE Network. It's going to be the holiday spectacular, the holiday extravaganza. I'm doing a whole holiday episode that I think you guys are absolutely going to love. I put a lot of hard work into this week's episode. Um, uh, and I think I think you're I think you're going to enjoy it. There's some hot takes in there. There's some fun segments. Uh, yeah, I think you're going to like it a lot. This week's was, of course, all about music. I've been loving getting tweets from people uh, telling me about their favorite albums. I voted for WWE The Music Volume 4. I also thought that I would get more clapback from people when I uh, proclaimed that the Insane Clown Posse was the greatest musical act in the history of wrestling. But I guess I laid out an argument that People are buying. So if you haven't seen it yet, make sure you go to the WWE Network. Every view counts. So it's uh, it's very important that you go watch the show. It's completely different from the podcast. 
um, not Sam Wrestling, on the free version of the WWE Network. So you just go on and you uh, put in your email and you can watch the show. Watch all of them. Uh, this is episode 10 coming up this week. So if you've missed, if you haven't been watching the WWE Network show, you're out of your mind crazy because it's such a fun show and there's nothing like it on the WWE Network. And it's insane that they're even letting me do it. It's completely produced by me. Once we get, you know, in, a few, in a few weeks when we're winding down the season, I'll tell you the whole story uh, behind how it happened. But it's completely produced, editorially controlled, everything by me. Um, so yeah, if you haven't watched any of it, you get some time off this week for the holidays. You got, you're, you'll have by Christmas Eve 10 hours, unbelievable, of content on the WWE Network from yours truly. Uh, from Not Sam Wrestling uh, that you can go and check out. So please go and check that out. We have a guest on the show this week, uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott. Anybody that's been listening to this podcast regularly knows I'm a big supporter and fan of Isaiah Swerve Scott. I think he's bringing something to the table that nobody else really is in WWE right now. Um, I've been a fan of his for a long time. I, I knew of Swerve back when he was Shane Strickland. Uh, I think CZW was probably my first exposure to him. You know, I, I, I just thought he was very interesting because in CZW, he was doing everything he's doing now. He's a high flyer, very athletic, but he started doing death matches. He, started, he did Cage of Death. He did, you know, he's breaking through glass and stuff like that. And I just thought it was interesting that he was so well-versed that he was doing the high-flying stuff and he was doing the straight-up wrestling stuff and he was doing the death match stuff. And then... After he kind of uh, 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 grew a name for himself in CZW, he was wrestling for Defy, and he was wrestling for all these different promotions all over the world uh, before he got to NXT. He also has a show on the free version of the WWE Network called the Swerve City Podcast, uh, where he talks to WWE superstars and others uh, about music and, and non-wrestling stuff, kind of. And it's a great show. So I would check out Not Sam Wrestling, which is the ultimate wrestling, straight-up wrestling fanboy geek show. But, I mean, the most wrestling of wrestling shows ever. And then Swerve City, if uh, you're looking for something that's not so wrestling-centric, but helps you get to know some of your uh, some of these superstars a little bit better. Um, there were a couple delays here and there. As you're listening to it, I'm sure you'll hear it. Uh, one of the things that we're dealing with in 2020 is uh, Zoom dropouts and delays and things like that. So, Bear with us uh, in a, a few a few spots here and there because there are a lot of gems that uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott drops on us throughout this interview, and at points it does just devolve into two wrestling geeks uh, talking about wrestling. So I hope you enjoy it. Here it is this week on Not Sam Wrestling. Isaiah Swerve Scott. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. Well, it's official. Not Sam Wrestling becomes... Swerve's house, because here with me, the man himself, Isaiah Swerve Scott. And I'll tell you, I, I pride myself on uh, not having difficulty with name changes, regardless of how I knew a superstar in one era. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good with going like, okay, this is how we know him now. This is how we know him now. But I can't tell you how many times like I've done yeah. something for NXT, and I'm like, don't say Shane, don't say Shane, don't yeah. say Shane, don't say. <laughs> yeah, I, I I get it, man. Trust me. It's like, especially like, um, it's some like 
it's been said for like 10 years in my career now, mm-hmm. you know, the last year and a half, it's like a nice, but I'm glad Swerve is still there. So even if you do forget like, oh man, I, I got to get out of the habit, just say Swerve. Swerve. And then boom, we're still, we're still riding. <laughs> we're good. We're still riding those like past 10 years. <laughs> yeah. That's, 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 that's my go-to. I'm like, Swerve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Swerve's great. Swerve, that's, that's, yep. <laughs> yeah. Just go by that name. So we were talking, by the way, you know, I, so I, was, I was thinking about you a lot because uh, you know, you coming into NXT, it's a it's a really unique time right now because I feel like there was there was one movement a few years ago where NXT opened the doors for a lot of people. I think like the the Kevin Owens and the Sami Zayn's and the Finn Balors and that whole generation. I feel like there was a generation of independent talent that a lot of people, Samoa Joe's, even AJ Styles to an extent, where people were just like well, that person's not a WWE person, they and I don't think they, yeah. I don't think they ever will be. But NXT shifted the narrative; they changed all that, and they were like, "No, we're WWE is 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 opening and changing and evolving the same way pro wrestling as an industry is changing and evolving." You now come into NXT as another evolution has taken place, where you are now making the choice to come to NXT. I feel like now more than a few years ago, somebody like you who develops a name on the independence can come in and, and, and go, well, I don't necessarily have to go to NXT. Now it's, it's, it's a choice. Do I want to go with WWE and NXT or do I want to explore what else is out there? So for you, what was it about NXT that you knew, okay, this is, this is, where I belong. This is where I want to go. Um, prior to coming to NXT uh, in 2019, I was like uh, contacted from them around 2018, 2017. And um, I was still in the Lucha Underground phase of my career. And I still felt like I wasn't finished with a lot of things that I wanted to do, um, especially on with Lucha Underground and especially on the independent scene. And around that time, me and Aleister Black, especially when on his career with NXT, he was like taking off. He was NXT champion. He was like doing big things with the company. He was my mentor. Him, Sammy Callahan were like mentors to me. So I was like being mentored by Sammy Callahan on the indies mm-hmm. and in Lucha when he got there. And then Alistair Black on the other side of the fence. So Sammy kept telling me like, there's more we can do. There's more we can do. And then Alistair on the other end was like, He's like, I'd give it one more year, give it one more year, go out there, do as much as you can, like be the man in a lot of places. And so that was the guidance for like that 2018 year that I had with like going to all the independents, winning all these championships and traveling around, like having these top matches with like some of the best in the industry could ask for from Japan, from the UK, from America, Mexico and building these bonds with these people and, and networking, but also it helped me like build like this for city podcast with the YouTube thing. So I did, I branched out and did a lot of other things before it was time for me to come into the WWE. So it felt like, um, 2019 was another phase of guys shifting over. I wanted to be in that shift is what you were talking about. Like when Kevin Owens and all these, like Alistair, Adam Cole, Drew McIntyre, um, uh, Ricochet came through in and changing nxt i wanted to be the next guys after that i wanted to be the next generation so when me garza kushida came through it was like okay we i feel like we're the core guys right now we're the next shift 
And it just felt like great timing. I always say the universe finds a way to work in itself out and it just made sense. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a forceful decision. Like, Oh, I had no other. It wasn't like, Oh no, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do it on my time. And when I'm ready. And I felt like I was ready. Yeah. And that, and, and that's that, that was, I guess the, the hurdle that you hadn't hopped over yet. Right. Like, I mean, you know, you can stay in the independence and you, but I mean, even, you know, you did more in the independence than a lot of people. You know, I, I think that, that it's amazing because I feel like the thing about WWE and NXT is when Isaiah Swerve Scott comes out as much as you did across the globe in independent wrestling, there's this huge audience that is being introduced to you for the first time which I think is, is, is the reason, right. Why you make that jump. Cause it's like, it's time to, it's time to not just show the wrestling world. It's time to show the entire world what I'm capable of. But what was, what was, what was that part like when you're like, you know, I mean, your, your 2018 was incredible. Right. And you developed this name for yourself and you become bigger than you had ever been. And then you get to NXT and you realize, or you must realize how big potentially this can actually get. Uh, a lot of people that can be intimidating mm-hmm. and that's the why some people are hesitant to make that jump and why they stay where they are. That's why they like kind of like um, they stay in a comfort zone and it's not calling anybody out for doing that. If you're like, if you can make a living and and you're, you're in a really good spot where you are and you built so much for so many, so many years, I understand why you want to stay into what you're doing and build that, whatever your um, industry is in that, or whatever your promotion is there, you want to build that up as big as you can be. I understand that for me, it was like, I, as a challenge. And I've always looked at everything I did as a challenge. I look at everything like on even 2018 was a challenge. It's like, yeah, I finally climbed the mountaintop of a lot of these independents, but now maintaining it is another thing over to another global audience. That's another, that's another challenge learning a whole nother system, getting into um, a networking relationship with the offices, not only just in um, the performance center, but in the main roster when doing 205 Live. And then in Connecticut and knowing who you are dealing with the network and stuff, that's all a challenge to me. And it just looked like, to me, it was it was fun. It looked like, oh man, these are all these Please, I want to play with all this. I want to figure out where I belong in this. And for me, I always look at um, people at me saying like, ah, I, I like them here, but I can't see them doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, I like them here, yeah, but over in the area doesn't fit them very well. I'm like, oh, okay, you don't think I fit here? Watch me change that narrative. So I always just like changing the narrative of things. So it's like if I'm teaching a new audience of who I am and they expect one thing of me, oh, give me time. You're going to see something different and wipe that whole memory of me and that's that's where i have fun with it and that's where i love the challenge and that's also when the audience grows and connects with you a little more because like you change the expectations of what they already see with you and especially when like they other people might maybe have failed at it they've seen things may not have worked out so of course this is always there like oh man like I liked him when he was doing this, but I don't like him as much doing this. I'm like, no, I want to change the narrative. You're going to you like me here, but you're going to love me here. Right. And I guess that's the, this part of that is, is, I mean, on a, on a, on a 
smaller scale, I mean, the transition into and out of deathmatch wrestling is is that entirely yeah. right. I mean, a lot of people are there's there's deathmatch wrestlers and there's other wrestlers. Like some people, like there's so many deathmatch wrestlers are just deathmatch wrestlers. I have always loved deathmatch wrestling. It makes me nostalgic for high school. I, I I think it's the greatest. I also love many other types of wrestling, but it's interesting not only how polarizing it can be, but how 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 niche it ends up being for a lot of performers. Um, for you, did you make a conscious effort to go, okay, I'm going to add this to my repertoire or was it just, there's an opportunity where it organically makes sense that I would do a death match here and it worked out here. So one leads to the other. It was a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make, I wanted to fill every spectrum. Like I said, is the narrative of like, oh, he's a like when in 2015, I was a good high flyer. Right. You know, and then in 2017. I changed the narrative of that and I'm like, oh, I'm a I'm actually a good technical wrestler. Mm -hmm. So I became in the technical wrestling realm. Then in 2018, I changed the narrative again. I was like, oh, no, he's like a good top guy. He can actually he can promo a little bit, you know. And then, so it was just another one of those challenges. Like, okay, I'm filling these spectrums, but I guarantee people don't expect me to go in a death match and actually go through some of those dangerous, you know, uh, uh, spots that people like, like, uh, you see like a, a Ricky Shane page get destroyed. You the Nick gauges just go through so much. They don't expect me to go through these things. And I'm like, Oh no, I'll do it <laughs> just because you don't expect it. Yeah. You know, yeah, like watching a movie, you see characters of cliche of guys like to go through the same thing that, you know, oh, he goes through here, oh, but he's not going to do that. And then it's like, oh, he actually did it. It actually happened. Like I'm looking at Batman and Joker on your shirt right now. Yeah. You there's, you know, there's certain things Joker will do. You know, there's certain things Batman won't do, you know, but when they actually do it now, it's just, whoa, this changed the whole expectation and the whole spectrum of what I thought of Batman and your expectations of these characters. And that's what I always wanted to be. I always wanted to be ever evolved. And um, especially with the death matches, which you were asking, um, uh, they were always at the end of a big feud, especially in Lucha Underground. With my first one was uh, with uh, Marty the Moth. We <laughs> built it up, television, from one season to the next season, starting off season three, we just threw everything out, everything at the wall. You know, what are you willing, how far are you willing to go? Okay, here's how far I'm willing to go. How far are you willing to go here? I'm willing to go here. So it was just topping one another. And at the end of the season, you had Dante Fox, me and him. We just, once again, how far are you willing to just pushing each other to that limit just to show, just to get people's eyes on what we're capable of. And to, if your expectations are here, we're going to exceed them every time. And that's what I, and that's what was 28. That was 2017, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sounds right. Yeah. So that's how death. Yeah. But that's what deathmatch wrestling really uh, started becoming a core. It's always like the end of a feud. It always right. got built to something. It wasn't just like, Oh, I'm going to do it. It was just built to built and built into a storyline to get to the culmination. And then you just two powers, two forces meeting each other of who can top who. And then boom. Yeah. 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 Cause I mean, but you're right about the expectations thing. Cause the expectation is when you hear swerve is going to be in a cage of death match, you go, okay, he's probably going to use some of the high flying stuff and the flips to kind of avoid actually doing 
the glass and the barbed wire and the light tubes and stuff like that. And then you get there right? and you're like, did this guy really just do a Russian leg sweep through glass under barbed wire? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's what he did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like did or or like oh a reverse rana off the top of the cage through pane of glass oh shane's or shane strickland's going to be the one to give that yeah. no no he's the one that took it yeah. 300 pound man <laughs> what like yeah like <laughs> when you're when you're when you know that's coming right because because we could talk about this philosophically we could talk about this from storytelling we could talk about this from uh, uh defying audience expectation and and making references to batman and joker and things like that and that all works because of the art of pro wrestling but there's also the human element where in the moment you are standing on top mm-hmm. of that cage of death and you know you're going through that glass and you're gonna hit that barbed wire in the moment like when you're thinking micro, not macro, small picture, not big picture, what is going on in your head where you're like, Oh my God, this is, this is really it. This is what we're about to do. The honest answer and the truth to that is absolutely within my head. I completely went on autopilot (laughs) and I couldn't think of anything. My whole body, my whole mind had to shut down because if you think about any little piece of where you are, the plat, the landing here, this, um, the moment you think of them, that that's where you end up in the hospital and not where I wanted to be. That's not where, you know, at that <laughs> end of that night, especially having to fly home the next day. Yeah. Like, you know, like, no, I, I completely went home. I went on autopilot blanked. I just knew Ricky was here, paint a glass here. That's where we need to end blank if you if you check out my facials on that on that uh, part of the match too if you go back and watch i finally watched it like early this week but i never have not wow. watched that match since wow um yeah um uh, my my face is just blank there's no expression i'm just going through the motions of it because i know what was coming next and if i yeah so it was very blank and autopilot android swerve on the top of that and but Ricky, man, he was a trooper too. And Joe Gacy, who's now on the WWE Performance Center with us, like we, every time I walk past him and I see him, I look at him like, hey, we were there. <laughs> we, were, we were in the war. We were in the sticks together. Yeah. You know, he went to the, he ended up going to the hospital at the end of that match. But, um, and then like you see, uh, you see Drake over there. He's like, hey, you, <laughs> we, we match these scars. I'm like, you know how I got these scars. You know how I got them. You know, so we, it's it's really funny. Like we feel like your battle, your battle brothers now. Yeah, you know? I mean, and and it's I'm also, glad to be able to. I walked away from it. Yeah, absolutely, and it's also so refreshing because I mean, there was such a long time where I I, I feel like death matches would would kind of pigeonhole wrestlers and like you know you if you did it that's all you did and you wouldn't be taken seriously and stuff. And I mean, you just mentioned you. And one of the top officials and one of the top new recruits at the PC. And it's like, you know, it's just there's much more of an acknowledgement, it seems like now that that a pro wrestler can be a full formed person that has all these different skill sets. And that a death match isn't just garbage wrestling. It's a storytelling device that, like you said, can can, you know, if, if we if we lead there in the right way. 
yes, you know, it's about the blood and the barbed wire and the glass, but really it's about the reason for all that stuff. It's it's about, you know, what has brought these two characters right. to this point where they want to destroy each other, where this is the last option. Yeah, it's like the end of a end of an action movie. It should be chaos by the time it gets to the end of that. There should be cars, tanks blown up, buildings should be. <laughs> yes. It should be an apocalyptic sight, you know. But it's at the end of the film. You don't want to really start there because where do you get to that? So, I, uh, even Drew Goose, also known as one of the world's best technical wrestlers, yep, was in a cage of death. Oni Lin was, you know, you know, in a cage of death. It made them. It like I said. It it makes it makes them. There's a there's a whole aura around them now mm-hmm. as a full perform as a hundred percent full well rounded performer now after that. Yeah, you know, and I I've always appreciated them for that when I was watching them go through that. And I was like, I'd be willing to do it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm and, and of course at the time period for the like the ten years on the independence, you you either wanted to do final battle, be the main event of final battle mm-hmm. in Ring of Honor, you mm-hmm. wanted to be the main event of um bola and pwg mm-hmm. or you wanted to be the main event of a ccw k to death yep and i'm glad i was able before i ended my independent run i got to at least do the main event of a cage of death and you got to work on a show with onita which not too many you know american independent wrestlers can say that they did <laughs> i i forgotten that was like the last it might be the last independent show that I have been to is just like a straight up fan. Like I just, I heard Onita was coming and I waited until the last minute. Cause you know, not just CZW, you know how the independents are. You know how Onita is. I was like, let me wait until the day before to buy a ticket because I don't think this guy's showing up. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you wait and like, you see like the tweets yeah. going out and he's <laughs> in the States and he's on the plane and you're like, all right, I'm going. And I mean, uh, yeah, that was that was yep. a, a a momentous moment, but I I was kind of like going through uh, video of you and stuff, and I'd forgotten that that you were on that show as well. I, I believe shows he did the flyer skates on one, and then he finally did the uh, the Philadelphia ECW arena. Yeah, the twenty three hundred arena one too. I believe yeah. it was in a tag match on that one, and last it might have been the last easy match I did. I, if if memory serves me right. So how did you how did you learn the part I'm so interested in what you said a few minutes ago about like when you got to NXT when you get to WWE and you get to 205 live that part of your motivation is not just kind of going out there and doing your match and talking to the people involved in the match but it's meeting the people in Stanford it's like it's kind of getting in touch with everybody involved in the full scope of this global entertainment company that is WWE. I think there are a lot of people in your position that would just be like, well, you know, I'm a wrestler, I'm a sports entertainer, I'm whatever I am, and I'm just going to stick to my lane. I, I, I think it's I think it's very interesting that that as soon as you get to WWE, you're like, no, let's look at let, let let's 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 go behind the curtain and let's look at all aspects of this giant company that I'm a part of now. Is that the way you've always been, or is there is there something along the way that's kind of given you that mindset? It's come along the way. Definitely later on in my career, and um, that was something Sammy Callahan always instilled into me because every promotion he's always went to, he always wanted to place himself in the back learning all different aspects. He did it at Lucha Underground. He does it at Impact Wrestling. He did it at CZW. 
and I always admired him for that. And that's how he was able to help me boost my career in that 2017, 2018 um, era for me. And that's how, and it was always amazing me how he knew so much about so many different things, not just in ring, but like with cameras and storytelling and saving this for that, for the next several, three, four shows that you're going to be doing one of the matches. Um, so that always interested me. Then we went to High Spots Network and started doing like a, a the the, the uh, Swerve Talk. Swerve Talk, and that's how Montezzi got into the Swerve City podcast and everything. So we did we did a couple DVDs on High Spots with them, and he was and Sammy Callahan was uh, filming and editing the videos, <laughs> and that kind of sparked. Uh, my interest of like, okay, I want to do more of these. Like maybe media is somewhere I want to be. So with the help of my partner, Montezzi, who's the co-host of Source City Podcast on the WWE Network, we just started compiling ideas. And he has a journalism degree and also is into music and stuff. And then I was like, okay, I love this. And then that energy made me want to take it into other promotions. Like when I went to MLW, I wanted to see behind the cameras of how this works and what 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 tools can I use to that to make me a better well-rounded not just performer but employee and that's where when i got to wwe and i the first place i went to was the cil place and wanted to uh, introduce myself to all the people that work behind like the wwe pc youtube page mm -hmm. that put out all the extra content the cil ring the camera work what can i do to make this happen what can i try this oh there's a light up here can i use that to do this oh can i i was just asking questions and then um, going up to 205 Live in the main roster, um, I remember talking to Drew McIntyre, who was one of the guests on the podcast for the season. He said there are so many different departments in this company. It's mind-blowing. It helps you to learn. It's impossible to learn all of them, but as learn as much as you can and get involved with as many, many things as possible because you don't want to just have a <coughs> excuse me, a short run Mm -hmm. the WWE, you want to be here for 10 years you want to be here for 15 years you want to be here as long as you can and the way to make that and extend that length of time in the WWE is learning at all these facets don't want to, you ever don't ever want to limit yourself onto just being one thing you want to be a multitude of things you want to be a swiss army knife of this industry of the entertainment business and especially for our, like my culture we we need to be we all we can never be just limiting ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Like we need we we our faces need to be everywhere. We need to be we we need to show them. We need to show the world that hey, like this is there's something there's something we that could be presented to everybody, mm -hmm. and everybody can be everybody can um, be involved in every aspect of it. Like I said, you never want to limit yourself and you want to show the world and show all these people that look up to you and watch you and follow you on social media that yes, you can do it too. And don't ever limit yourself to just being a one thing. Yeah. And I also think that what's interesting about WWE uh, in probably the last, I don't know, four or five years is that to me, as I, as I look at it, it's really seemed like it's developed into this place where wrestlers can have a lifetime career in the business. You know what I mean? Like there, there isn't this expiration anymore where we're mm -hmm. just because you're done in the ring, 
your body is done having matches. You're not going to have any more matches. But there's now all these different things, and it's what you're talking about. It's all the departments. But whether it's coaching at the PC, whether it's being a producer, whether it's, you know, if you if you figure out how to podcast, you could podcast forever. If you figure out how to, you know, well, I've, I've done a show on the network. I can develop shows on the network. It just seems like there's, there's there are so many yeah. spots in WWE that, I mean, many are still untapped that I feel like if somebody wants to stay in the wrestling business forever, there's now space for that. Like, but even not just in media with um, starting and hosting and stuff like that um, or producing, uh, look at what Titus O'Neil does yes. with his charity work. He's all over the place. He's working with this, uh, talking with um, even policemen and uh, communities around uh, and always there's always a WWE stamp behind him whenever whenever he does it so it's always something that like comes back to the company and the company out and branching out and helping helping there him being an ambassador for so many different things you know like um mark henry going out to the strong competitions and helping out with like all these all these different demographics of entertainment and athleticism it once again it broadens the horizon of what we what the next person will be able to do it opens that door you know and that's what i appreciate and that's what i started observing and looking a little bit further than just the performer i look at the person and the professional you know yeah uh, and that's what i wanted to contribute now as much as i love being a on-screen performer i want to be someone who opens a door for the next crop of people and entertainers and professionals to come in and build, you know, for what we can do. There's, like I said, it'd be a disservice just to limit yourself. It just is in one thing. Yeah. I mean, I a hundred percent agree. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's like this, like you, you realize once you get to a certain place, you start to realize like the, the doors start to open a little bit more and you realize all this stuff that's possible that you didn't even know was, a possibility before. And when you see everything that's possible, you want to go out there and tell all the younger yous, right? All the kids that, that kind of remind you of you, Hey, like it's not just this thing that's possible. All this beyond me is also possible. Just watch like this and that, and this and that, and that way, you know, hopefully it can, it can inspire people to have goals that maybe you didn't even realize that, you could have. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it also inspires them to tap into that early on, too. Mm-hmm. Like, don't get started late in your career when your body fails you mm-hmm. and you lose all these options of what you can do. And then you get into something. Start it like at 25. Look into that stuff while you're start. If you're trying to get into WWE and your wrestling career and start pursuing that kind of thing, get get tapped into that early and start building it there. And so by the time um, these opportunities are presented to you. And one of the prime points of your career, you're ready for it and you're ready to present ideas to them that opens up another doorway for what we can do in the WWE, you know? Yeah. Get started on that stuff early. Yeah. 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 And, and, and this idea of not waiting until you need to figure it out to figure it out. Meaning like, you know, even in radio, like if you get a radio gig, it's not enough just to host the show. You better know how to create your own platform should you need to create your own platform? Like figure out how this, now that you're here, figure out all of this. That way you're not dependent on all of this anymore. Right. Right. 
Um, but from, I know for me, like I'm not really the most tech savvy person. Mm-hmm. You know, I tried to do it myself. I tried it like I tried it and then I wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. And the product suffered because of that early on when we were doing just Instagram live and YouTube. Um, but I was, um, I was, I was uh, able to reach out to people that knew how to make it happen. So this person branched off to this person that networked, networked to this person building a team of people yeah. that can make it a well-oiled machine so even if you're not the one that you're not like um, faster in, in the technology or the the knowledge of knowing exactly how to make things or like financially mm-hmm. you build a team like a like interviewing pat mcafee mm-hmm. he has a team of people that make that make the pat mcafee show work and this it's just a well-oiled machine and they just build and they build and they build and it's amazing to watch and that breaks them off and opens them up to doing other other things and now other people want to branch on to what they're doing so if you're not able to do it by yourself don't hesitate to ask for help and like reach out to people you'll be surprised when the way you reach out is is if you the kind of energy you exert reaching out and asking for help and the kindness and the professionalism people are going to come back with the same energy they're going to match it you know especially if they feel like you're serious about it they're committed yeah yeah, I think that's one of the secrets too. Is that is that knowing what you're good at, and really focusing on what you're good at, and then also being to recognize talented people, so you can find people that are good at the stuff that maybe you're not good at, but that relate to you on that same level. So yeah. it was like, what if we combined my strengths and your strengths, and your strengths and your strengths, and we just created this this project? And I feel like that's what that's what the Swerve City Podcast is. I've I've got to believe that producing this for the WWE network. Cause right when it's one thing to be like, yeah, I've been doing this podcast for a while, but when it's like, okay, it's going to go up on the WWE network. That's a lot of pressure. That's like, this has to WWE network is, is, is one of the top streaming platforms. It's like a highly professional (laughs) thing. You can't send a show in that, that, that looks like garbage, you know? So like, I would have to imagine that just the process of doing your show on the network has increased your education and everybody around you's education tenfold. It made me feel like nothing is impossible yeah. and you can always make something work. It, Cause like I'd be lying to you and and everybody watching this show. If I say like this, the whole season, cause we're by the time you're watching this 10 episode 10, we're going to be dropping. I'd be lying to you. If I said everything worked smoothly and everything went a hundred percent, exactly how we envisioned it which it didn't you know there was snags we we ran into there was like um especially with you know uh covid mm-hmm. there was things we had to modify we had to adjust like the studio in itself had to be um had to be uh sanitized daily every person that came in you know uh, there was times a certain guests couldn't come in at that at that time because of testing and all these things we had to maneuver all that or like something like uploading the episodes finally was like oh we got to take a day a, a day to fix this get it working to get it to the network and stuff you know this is wwe network or like without the crew that i have it wouldn't be possible like between um alex all the x visuals with the social media uh, who also helps and edits episodes with mike the goat uh, you know mike simmons and the director behind the camera siren whittleton and then my co-host Montezzi, this 
all the network and the, the minds coming together to just like, oh man, we failed at this spot. Don't worry, this guy comes in and takes the. It's like it's like basketball. Literally, if one guy sprains his ankle, the next sub sub comes in and replaces him. We still keep scoring points. Mm-hmm. So, um, just expect 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 snags, expect roadblocks, but. Once, but stay committed to the goal and keep your team together and tight. Don't let people start like wavering off, and especially step up and lead too. It's important to be able to lead and motivate these guys, motivate your team. You know, so uh, that's what kept us through the season, and that's what started. Like I think, once again, I think we exceeded expectations with the WWE Network and the executives up in Connecticut really enjoying what we bring to the table. We're a nice little corner of the WWE network that is starting to get a little bit bigger. And um, we have a little niche that we are still figuring out and we're going to grow it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and the real value is you're bringing something to the table that nobody else is bringing and nobody else really can bring because it's genuine to you, right? Like that you're bringing your perspective and your vision uh, to the network. So when you, when, when you got your Swerve City, the Swerve City podcast was, was, it was on YouTube and podcast platforms before it was on the WWE network. Um, is this something that you had to kind of explain to the WWE and, and, and sell them on your idea? Or is this something that you were already kind of doing and they kind of caught wind on it on YouTube and went, Hey, I know you're doing this here. Would you want to do it over there? Yeah, that is that's exactly how it happened. We they noticed uh, what we were doing. Um, they thoroughly checked through, through all of the stuff that we put out, and we were putting out a clean product mm-hmm. with a lot of jokes and a lot of laughing and a little tongue in cheek references that we made to the roster and the product and what was going on in pop culture. But it was funny. They they loved the warmth and the comfortability that we had the guests come in, and they express themselves with they love that we could have bailey come in and just joke and laugh with us like we've known each other for five ten years when we just like really met this past year Mm -hmm. you know they love the fact that we can clown around and laugh with a kofi and um an mvp a ruby riot and adam cole and alistair black you know we they love that we had that energy to have nikki cross get up and dance and swing around in our podcast and just have a big laugh about it and they were like, man, they look like they're having fun. They look like it's not like an interviewer and um, a professional athlete. It looked like these are people. They're just guys. They're just joking around and having fun and laughing. But they're also talking about other things that's outside of wrestling. Mm-hmm. You're getting to know the person and enjoy the conversation. And it makes you feel like as a viewer, for me, I, I believe you all, all want to make the viewer feel like they want to be in that room laughing with you. You all, oh, man. They're talking about this. Oh man, they're talking about that. I love that. Oh, I want to. I want to converse with these guys, and I feel like they love that energy that we brought, and that's what got us noticed to come to the WWE Network, because um, and the fact that they let me bring my friends and my crew <laughs> along with it is even bigger surprise for all of us. That was fun. That was the best. That was the part that warmed my heart. They didn't want to like touch anything that we were doing. They wanted the same atmosphere. They wanted the Swerve City podcast banner up. They didn't want to change the name of it. They wanted like, like, and if you mention look at the pictures in the background, it's not all, all, all my friends are up here signed. You got Ultimo Dragon up there. He's not signed with WWE. Right. But <laughs> they're up there and they like, keep it, keep it. Don't change anything. Just keep doing what you're doing. 
So that genuine that genuine um, feel of the show is still running through from YouTube to the WWE Network. And I got to believe it's a major boost of confidence to you, too, where it's like, if these guys like what I'm doing, clearly I'm on the right path. Was there any... Was there any, like, uh, a moment of you going, like, oh, no? Like, did they text you and go, like, hey, man, we got to talk about your podcast. Like, oh, no. Are they going to tell me I can't do the podcast anymore? And then it's the opposite. <laughs> no, we're going to put it on the network. It's actually great news. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, if, if you, if, funny thing, um, when I started doing it on YouTube, um, uh, the permit, like, I asked permission, mm -hmm. of course. And yeah. um, they, but... I remember the email vividly was just like, we're not telling you no. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. But we're also <laughs> saying it'll be monitored as you put this out in the public forum. And I was like, I, I didn't hear a no still. So I just <laughs> chug on and like ask for, ask for forgiveness rather than permission. That's it. And so like also, once again, like I also like to like, raise the bar i like to get as close to like getting in trouble as i possibly can so there's times when my crew will be like ah, i don't know about that and i'm like <laughs> okay okay, okay. <laughs> so like like but that's just me i'm like uh the, do you think we can get away with that and they were like let's try it and see <laughs> and so there are times you like uh, but once again i never wanted to be closed in and limited i wanted like like make these these like tongue and cheek jokes and look at the camera and then like wink at them and let them know like hey uh i you know where you know what i'm talking about and yeah then, and moving on we keep going on with the discussion so um like that's just me it's like uh like even with like the the grill that i have in my mouth i'm like why told me i they liked it and then told me if it was like eh, we don't know about that and just like i'm gonna do it and it fits me. I feel it fits me. Yeah. If they feel like, you know what? We like that. We don't know. If it, they don't. That's the thing. They don't know what they don't like until it's presented. They're like, oh, you know what? I didn't think I would like this, but I like that. Let's go with it. And you got to be a little risky with that. You got to kind of take those risks and like take a step forward. And we even touch the stove when it's hot a little bit just to test, just to test it. Well, that's what I really like about your character and about a lot of what you bring to the table in WWE and, and as a whole is that there's there's a, a modern hip-hop influence that we really don't yeah. see. And I mean modern like young. It's a young hip-hop influence in your character. Even in the way the podcast is formatted, it's like, it, it's this it's this young hip-hop thing. I'm assuming that Isaiah Scott was, was influenced by Travis Scott. I just, because that, that's kind of, the vibe I get oh, in yeah. yeah, okay. Cause that's the vibe I get oh, yeah. in, in the visuals <laughs> and in the attitude and that whole thing. But that attitude yeah. has never and it is an attitude, I feel like. And and that has it has never been presented in WWE in any way, shape, or form. Is that something that you kind of have to explain to people who might not be in touch, like because they're not sitting there listening to hip hop that's designed for kids right now? Um, I don't, I don't like to explain mm -hmm. at all. I want people to experience. Yes. You know, yes. if you don't get it, if you keep tuning in, you'll, you'll, you'll figure it out. Like if I have to explain it like A, B, C, D, E, F, then I got to change course on something, you know, like in, um, there's tones to everything that I do. Mm -hmm. Like there's an undertone somewhere 
and I don't want to have to tell you exactly that. And that's the fun of being enter- of entertainment, you know, like um, Batman is a ninja mm-hmm. and he's a detective, <laughs> but that's not said about his character. That's just something like you pick up on as you read his comics and you watch them in movies and TV shows. Like, yeah. oh, he's clearly a ninja. He's, he's doing ninja activity. He's doing detective activity. Right. This shouldn't be said like detective Batman on his shirt. Right. It would, it's just something that you pick up on. It would be super lame if you were like, this is ninja detective Batman. You'd be like, I'm not, right. this is dumb. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I don't like that. And then it takes you out of it. Like, um, There's like undertones to like a Christopher Nolan film you have, there's something that you have to watch over and over and over and over and over again to really grasp and take in all of what he's trying to tell you mm-hmm. in the film. But that's what, but that's experiencing it rather than just being told what you're watching. You know, like there's undertones to the show. Swerve City is the Sin City. No, that's one of my favorite films. Mm-hmm. But it's also Seattle to come Washington, where I don't want to say. Uh, Seattle, Washington uh, podcast and stuff like that. There's this undertones to it. Yeah. Um, even if, if you watch the interviews that we do, um, when we had the guard, the undertone was insecurities, battling insecurities. But the title in the of the show isn't battling insecurities. Mm-hmm. That's just something you up on. But you also learn something about these people and these entertainers as you're watching it. You know the bullying with Jake Atlas, the episode, Mm -hmm. there's the pressure of being on top with Drew McIntyre. You know, there's uh, a Tony storm with like invasion with social media, you know, these are things you pick up on. And so through that, and then uh, as my character, there's, there's, um, with, of course, a Travis Scott. Um, but there's also a Flatbush Zombie influence. There's mm-hmm. also a Kid Cudi influence. There's also an Eminem influence. There's also a Childish Gambino and the Tyler Creator influence. Yes. You know, but I don't want to tell you all those things. I just want you to feel and see and experience. You know, like I want you to watch the process of these little changes that I make as I grow, and that's going to enjoy the ride. I, I never, I never felt that me being plopped into what I am. This is who I'm going to, and you either like it or you don't. No, I'm like, okay, I'm going to come in very surface. This is what I do. This is who I am. But now I'm going to follow my journey of what instead of the, ah, I don't like this. Oh, don't, you, it's okay to not like it, but don't understand this isn't the finished product of what you're not liking. Right. The finished product is going to be years down the road. Follow the journey. And so instead of just not liking it, you're going to end up loving it and wanting to see more. You know, that's what we do. That's what we're entertainers. That's what the beauty of what we do as a sports entertainers are, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's what I think what separates sports entertainment as well is that these characters build over years and like you really, the, mm-hmm. the great, great superstars, you look back and you can trace these amazing timelines that go back over the course of years and years. The Shawn Michaels, the Triple H, the Undertakers, the, the Austins. The, like, you go back and you can see, even though you didn't know what was happening at the time, and maybe it was it was not necessarily consciously always being aware of, yeah, and then in three years I'm going to do this. But mm-hmm. if, if you look at it on a timeline, 
you can clearly tell this story of this character that has taken place right in front of your eyes over the course of, I mean, for some people, 30 years in The Undertaker's case. Like, that's one story. Right. Right? Right. Exactly. Um, even Edge's evolution was incredible. Yeah. Yes. For like the 10 years, 10, 15 years where he became a rated star, where he became like he went from rude to like getting to um, like TLC matches to cashing in money in the bank for the first time to becoming main event uh, with Taker, you know, and like at Mania to seeing his comeback at at Royal Rumble this past year, you know, like that's a long time mm-hmm. of developing and he's still developing to this day. I, I, I've had phone conversations with Edge, who's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And he tells me the t- undertones to what he's doing. And when I can do the greatest wrestling match of all uh, ever. Uh, uh, you know? So like, yeah, that's undertones of this dude. That one is just like, <laughs> that one drove me crazy. The fact that like more people, I, I went on the podcast, like right after the greatest wrestling match ever. Cause it was like, I mean, you talk about yeah. a Christopher Nolan movie, like that match probably halfway through, I realized what was happening and it just like hit me right. like a mallet in the head. And I went, Oh my God. And like, I started seeing everything yeah. differently and I'm like, Oh, this is, the greatest wrestling match of all time is a concept. It's not a description. And I started like, you know, putting all these pieces together. And then when I would hear these like quote unquote experts be like, I mean, it was good, but I don't know if it was the greatest. I'm like, how do you not get the story that was just, it was put right in front of you. Stop being so surface. Yes. Look below, like watch. And it's once, and once again, now, if whoever's watching this, they're hearing, they're hearing you explain this. They're going to go back and watch again, like yes. a Christopher Nolan film, because they're going to want to pull these things out. Yes. They don't want to tell you these things straight up. That's what makes the genius of a lot of these performers, and I don't think it's appreciated as much. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to have to go back and watch, it, and you have a WWE network to do so. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> so, so like go back and watch, and like really check the layers of what these guys are and why they are greatest of our generation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and uh, like hearing his knowledge about these things is what makes my mind spin. I'm like, okay, how can I create something on my own and make it something like that and portray it? You know? Yeah. That's the beauty. And that's the fun. That's, that's where, the, that's why, that's what brings me to WWE. That's what brought me to the dance. You know, that's the fun and the challenge of, of, of being a sports entertainer artist, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm also, it gives me goosebumps thinking about that and talking about it. Dude, it's so exciting. I love it. I mean, and it's, it's why, I mean, it's why wrestling is so great. But I also love that you brought up the artists that you brought up. I love that you brought up Tyler and, and Kid Cudi and, and, and those artists because I was also picking up on that and, and you talking about experiences. It's so interesting because when you listen to, I think uh, Travis Scott is one of them too. Like, I mean, Travis has a couple of, you know, huge hits with these hooks, but most of those artists, it's not about like, just here's the catchy hook or here's the verse that everybody remembers or here's yeah for them. It's like explaining why you like them or why they're so great or why they become so iconic is like you do with that music, just have to sit with it. And like you said, experience it, just allow yourself to just experience it and then just go off of how you feel like that, that all those artists that you mentioned, it kind of just comes in and gives you this, this, this feeling through every little piece of music that exactly. that is in that is on the album and 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 translating that into wrestling if you notice they're also go ahead right they're yeah. all referred to as visual artists 
yeah. visual artist is like is they're making it's a sound, but you can see what it is. It, it, it brings a color to the sound that you're hearing that like um, brings a mode, a mood. Uh, it kind of like takes you on a trance and be like, oh, when I hear this, it brings me back on a memory far, far doing this or it takes me to a galaxy far, far away just on their sound. And it's grown over the years. I've listened to them. I think Tyler Creator is like one of the greatest like evolutions in hip hop we've seen in the past ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did you when did you have that moment with wrestling where you really realized because you know when you're young and you're a big wrestling fan, it's going to be surface level because you're a kid. Like you don't know any better than just to look at what's right in front of you. But at what point did you realize kind of the depths that were possible and what was really going on under the surface with some of these genius mm. performers? Um, it really hit me when, uh, Sean versus Taker at Mania 25, mm-hmm. that's where it hit me like, wow. Cause I was, I, I believe I was like still starting to train. Mm-hmm. I just got into training in Virginia at that time. And I went to like a, a lot of the, the trainers that we all had a party watching them at watching Mania together. And that's where it really like dawned on me. Like, okay. This is how deep we can really go with this. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then, um, it really came again, it came um, with Daniel Bryan, mm-hmm. Mania 30, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh man, that's how we can, you can really go that deep mm-hmm. with this kind of storytelling. You know, that's just a couple of, um, of course, the uh, punk pipe bomb promo mm-hmm. that hit me t- like a ton of bricks, like right in the face. I'm like, wow, you can, that's how deep we can go. Um, and there's, there's so many, but off the top, those are the ones that like just really like stand out to me right away. And I remember like, those are the ones that I remember where I was watching these matches and watching these events occur. Yeah. Yeah. And all those too, it's like, those are the moments where you're not thinking like, you're not outside yourself thinking, well, I know this is just a storyline, but it's still cool. Mm-mm. You're so no. you're just completely engrossed. Not only do you not know what's story and what's real, you don't think about it. You're you become no. you become swerve on top of the cage of death. You're not thinking about it anymore. You're just there. Yep. You're just watching it unfold and you're not worried about overthinking or being you're just like let me let me just take what's being presented to me right now and and allow myself to react to it. Yeah, and it, that's when your phones go down and you're just yeah. in the moment. You're in the arena. You're looking around. You're like you feel like um Oh, and uh, Daniel Bryan and Kofi at this past WrestleMania, oh, the Mania last year, yeah. Kofi Mania, another one that you, you're going to remember these moments for the rest of your life. And you put your phone down, you weren't worrying about recording it. You just like wanted to just be there and be with the performers and just experience greatness. Yes. You know? Yeah, and that meant, dude, and, and that was so good. And Bryan and Kofi are just like so next level good because you're watching that. And yes. You know, in your heart, you're like, Kofi, of course, has to win. Like, this story doesn't work if Kofi doesn't win. Like, this is, he, of course. But as, literally, as the match is happening, you get lost in it. You're not sitting there going, well, I know who's going to win this. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. you believe that in this, oh, De- no. Brian might take it right there. Oh, is Kofi going to get it there? Oh, Kofi, he kicked that. And you're just, you're lost in this match. And, and you're just, you, you completely submit and you're just along for the ride. <laughs> 
I never wanted to just transmit such of my energy to a performer before. I'm just like, you can have it here. You <laughs> yeah. <need this>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're doing better with it than I am. You, this is, so this much. is you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> like I've never seen such energy like that before in my life. Yeah. So growing up, Edge was one of your favorites. You said Rey Mysterio is one of your favorites, right? Who else? Uh, yeah. Um, another favorite of mine was uh, Sean, of course. Sean Michaels. Uh, oh. uh, uh, funny enough, like um, uh, Roderick Strong was somebody I watched a lot wow. early on too. Uh, there's a sh- uh, if I want to really take it outside of the realm of just WWE, that Shingo Takagi is like incredible performer uh-huh. to me. Uh-huh. You know, it's great to still see him like performing at a high level at this at this point in his career. Uh-huh. Um. Uh, 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 someone who doesn't get enough credit for how they were. Uh, Jamie Noble was someone I really enjoyed too. Yes, in that time period on SmackDown in o o two o three. Yeah, doing tremendous work, tremendous stuff. I I I, I talked about this before, but I mean, I think always entertaining. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. From in the ring, and then also when he started doing that like Southern character work, it's like, oh, he can do it all. Like he, he yeah, look what just, was hidden under here. He can do everything. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Um, uh, uh, JBL was a, one of my favorite acts to uh, just. Uh, he's a, he's one of my favorite. Just generated such hatred. Yes, and built like a Eddie Guerrero so much to such a great level. Built John Cena up to such great levels. Yes, you know. Yes. Um. Yeah. He's he's. Uh, I think uh, I said this on my podcast so when I was uh, interviewing the Flatbush Zombies. Someone like a Mick Foley mm-hmm. is just the glue to a lot of different character pieces coming together mm-hmm. in the Attitude Era with like uh, The Rock. I um, mean, Triple H, Taker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just the glue to so many different guys. Even this man. Yeah. You know, interacting with him, interacting with Austin. Just he really was just like, without him in these moments, I don't know. Like the, I think these guys would be great regardless, but I don't know if the magic would just be as captured in these at that time period altogether. At yeah. One time. Yeah, I think that's a great point about Mick Foley because, yeah, I mean his rivalry at the end of his sort of active everyday full time career with Triple H completely made Triple H like that. That's what brought right villain Triple H into the forefront. The Royal Rumble match and the No Way Out match. Uh I mean, the stuff he did with The Rock, it it brought out this, the original stuff where it brought out this, like, meanness in The Rock. Yeah. And then yeah. the later stuff when it brought out the kind of, maybe he's not so bad, actually, he's pretty hilarious, and I think he loves Mick version of The Rock, where you start to be able to cheer for him again. Yeah. I mean, Mr. McMahon's, the disgust on his face when... Mankind called him dad. <laughs> was like, yes. I mean, priceless. Right. Priceless. Exactly. Just, and it's just such subtle things. Like, even the interviews with JR. Yeah. Are, you know, like that was such a crucial time period. And I think, like, man, Mick Foley just like weaved in and out of so many different storylines, even with Kurt Angle. Yeah. You know, like he weaved in and out of so many different storylines and so many different characters and just like brought so many different emotions out of all of them. Yeah. To make them laugh, to make it blood feud, to make it um, dangerous, scary, but then bring excitement and laughter and joy to the screen, you know? Yeah. It's really, that's such a different, uh, such a different, like, level of performer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the realizations that I had, I just had this year, 
when I was doing something for for my show was, you know, I ended up watching like all this old stuff to give myself refreshers and, and everything. And like, I realized that 2002 might be the most underrated period for WWE ever. Like 2002 is so crazy Stacked. good. It's incredible. Stacked. Stacked roster. That's why I got that's where I got in and started really watching consistently. Yeah. Yeah, because 2000, yeah, yeah. You, you've got like the, the 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 last sort of vestiges of the Attitude Era that are still around. You've got mm-hmm. you've got the the sort of last generation of WCW that are young and kind of they were going to be big in WCW, but then they didn't quite. And then you've got the first people like the 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 Brock Lesnar's and the beginning of John Cena and the beginning of Randy Orton the beginning of that ruthless aggression thing that mm-hmm. that transition time between attitude era and ruthless aggression is just unbelievable yeah. it's crazy it's just like you're seeing you were seeing the, the um the, the these two worlds just blend together so well to create the next 10 15 years of performer yeah it was incredible like i that was like a really good time and uh, when I was watching, and like, not to mention, you brought in the the, the Batistas ah. that came through, the Evolution that came in 03. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and the little you things. still had. Like, like, like seeing Three Minute Warning. And like, you think about Three Minute Warning, yeah. and you're like, okay, yeah, Three Minute Warning was cool. But then you're like, no, man, that's Umaga in there. And like, you like, Umaga's yeah. like one of the most, Umaga's one of the best of all time. And you can tell, and you can see it. Yeah. You can see it even when he's Jamal of Three Minute Warning. You're watching this guy, and you're like, it's right. mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Not to mention the first time we had a draft. Yes. Yes. The draft with Ric Flair and Vince mm-hmm. and Bischoff coming through after that. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Like that, that was – that period just, like, sparked and just – catapulted so many different like uh catapulted so many different people to high levels for like like i said the next 10 15 years edge and uh kurt shaving his head that, yeah like you know that's yeah. that, for some reason when kurt's when kurt angle's head got shaved that like just woke up another beast in kurt yeah yeah and that, woke up the beast <laughs> and that's just amazing kurt was an animal an animal like ball kurt was like oh he did win the olympics oh okay he's not yeah like yeah. you know, everybody yeah. everybody says like Kurt Angle, and I think it's true. Is like is is the best sort of person to come out of being a professional athlete and and figuring out professional wrestling quickly because of how entertaining he was in the in the Three Eyes era. But like his ability to switch from you know your Olympic hero Kurt Angle into that team Angle badass legit wrestler Kurt Angle. Unbelievable. I, I don't think there's ever been somebody. I, I don't think there's ever been, or it'll be. I can't say it won't happen again, but it's incredibly tough to find someone like a Kurt Angle. It's going to be incredibly like they that once again that bar was set so high by him and just getting just becoming a world champion within his first two to three years. Yeah, of learning to actually to be a sports entertainer. It's insane. And I, I, it's going to be incredibly hard to find something like that again. That was lightning in a bottle. Do you have uh, any specific people that like you'd like to work with, or that you'd like to build a story with, or that you see like, okay, I'm looking at the 
NXT roster or the WWE roster, the Raw roster, the SmackDown roster that you're like, yeah, that's somebody who eventually, when we get there, we can make magic? Um, for me, if there's two guys, um, I'll go uh, for me. I'll go first in NXT and then main roster. Mm-hmm. NXT right now, O'Reilly. Mm. I said that earlier this year. I thought O'Reilly. I think O'Reilly is one of the best in ring performers for the past like eight, eight eight to 10 years. I always thought that thought so highly of him, and we'd never cross paths on the independent level in the WWE level. We'd never cross paths yet. I, like I we need to get in the ring with. And um, I, I honestly, I would love to see him win the NXT championship and new year's evil mm-hmm. in January. I would love to see that. Happen. Um, and main roster wise, Andrade, Mm. Yeah, I think Andrade is so Andrade good. Andrade is just a heart. He's a heart. like I think 2019. He was the he was just un unreal. Yeah, he was consistent every night. Like especially his matches with Ray when he <laughs> when Ray first, just came back, he was on a whole nother level. He was so good, and like I I just I will sing his praises. <laughs> To the end of the to the end of the day, yeah. Uh, to the end of times, really, for the for his twenty nineteen year, he was an incredible performer, and I want I hope to see more of him on a higher level in twenty twenty one, man, because he is an incredible performer, man. And O'Reilly is so amazing because he is. This is how good O'Reilly is. Like this is a guy who, for years, has been a tag team wrestler strictly pretty much a tag team wrestler in one of the most popular tag teams in one of the most popular factions, but really a tag team guy that is a second to Adam Cole. When you saw the undisputed era and you said one guy from the undisputed era is getting a title shot. You weren't wondering it was going to be Adam Cole like that. There's no mystery there. And then out of nowhere, like three weeks before a takeover, he just wins the number one contenders match and he goes on to the title. And you're like, I didn't, I mean, maybe if you knew him before NXT, but if we're just, I mean, if we're just going to NXT, yeah, yeah, like, but then he he instantly, instantly made a believer out of everybody, delivered one of the best title matches of the year, and has so many of us now going like, yeah, he should be the champion. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, if you follow him beforehand, he's been world champion. Yeah, you know, like the PWG world champion. He's been a Bola winner. He's yeah. been a, a Ring of Honor champion you know so it's not like out of the stretch of the imagination to see him as a nxt world champion mm-hmm. he's right on par like i said i think he's one of the best in the ring guys like anywhere yeah anywhere you can place him anywhere and be your top guy now like i'm just glad he's finally getting this opportunity to showcase it to the nxt universe which hey like and there's no better person that you, you want to see this matchup with than finn balor Yes, no. I agree. I agree. Is it uh, yeah. when you get to WWE? Is it comforting? You know, I, I love looking at the generations of guys that come in, and you know, not everybody comes in at once, but they, you know, you can tend to over the course of a couple of years, kind of group them in. And when you look at some of the stuff that you did before you got to WWE and who you did it with, and then you look at the landscape of WWE, and you realize Cameron Grimes is here, Matt Riddle is here, oh yeah, Keith Lee is here, the guys we were talking about for like the best of the best are all like cream rises to the top are all surfacing and they're all kind of collecting mm-hmm. at their peak 
in this same spot, when you look around and you see these faces, are you like, yeah, this, this feels right. This feels good. It, it feels, it, it definitely does. Yeah. It feels, um, it's also can be, sometimes, and I, like I said, I, I'm always going to shoot straight and be honest. It can be a little bit discouraging as well mm-hmm. to see like guys that you like been on the same level with for years mm. like one gets a little higher one gets to raw and smackdown one main events a little quicker than you mm-hmm. like or you get a little ahead of him and see like it can be a little discouraging not just to see like um someone who's um you're a co-worker and someone side by side with doing this grind it's not towards them it's just towards yourself because sure. we're all competitors like i said i'd be lying to say like like oh man i'm I get that itch because like I'm I'm so competitive, but not overly competitive to the point where I want to see somebody else fail. Right. I just always want to compete and do better than the other person. But then like you have to sit back and be like, like what? That's for their time. That's for their moment. What can I do to make something new and organic from my time? What where can I fall in line? Because there's only space for one spot. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's it's what so much talent it's impossible to put all these guys in one space in one spot it's impossible but that's what once again you do you take the challenge or do you feel like you do resentment to the system or do you feel that resentment to um someone you work with and you're friends with and you've just been battling on the indies with for the past nine ten years you feel that resentment or do you take that challenge and be like you know what that's what he offers that's his lane i got to figure out my lane to make my um, my story compelling and people want to experience my journey and my, what I have to offer because Riddle did his thing. Mm-hmm. He's killing it on raw. He's having bang out matches with Seamus. Like every time they get in, get in the ring together. Um, Kushida, he's doing his thing. Garza made it to raw. He's doing his thing. He got to, he got to perform uh, over, overseas, mm-hmm. you know, with his cousin, Humberto, mm-hmm. you know, Man, and like before him, and I'm proud of him. I don't resent it, but it's like, man, keep going. But that's his lane. That's where he followed. And I'm like, okay, cool. What can I do with my lane? And how can I create and contort with the tools that I have at my disposal and make something where it's like, okay, now the next person coming behind me is like, yo, Swerve did his thing. He's killing it. I'm loving watching him, but now I got to do my thing. It's just, yes. it, 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 it can be discouraging, but it's all also like a challenge and it's fun. And it's like, it's, it's not, it's not always sunshines and roses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. basically what I'm saying It's also, this is the most, the elite of the elite of talent in the elite and the elite of, of sports entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And as really, really difficult as it is when you're not exactly where you want to be, you also have to just trust the process based on how it's taken you thus far. Like, you know, like, okay, had you gotten a certain opportunity earlier, you know, because every opportunity you've ever gotten, you've probably wanted that opportunity three or four years before that. You were sure you were ready for it, but you weren't ready for it three or four years before that. You're ready for it now, and it's really good that you got it now because you would have screwed it up a few years ago. So it's like, okay, yeah. it's kind of like all you can do is go, I got to continue to trust that process. And even though I think that that's where I belong, I'll get there 
and I need to make the best, the absolute best of what I have right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a fine line with that as well. And yeah. Like, there's times of being patient and be like trusting the process and seeing where you fall in line. But then there's those moments where you wake up and you just like, you walk into the office, pull the door behind you and say, give me my moment. I'm ready for it. Yeah. And you look them in the eye and they can see the fire in your eyes and be like, you're right. Let's go. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, you, you had, you, you, you've done all you could. Mm-hmm. The time of like waiting, watching, seeing people go on and you've learned, you did trial and error, but now it's, it's just something that you got to feel in your heart, you know? Yeah. It's something where you just got to be like, sometimes it's like, you know, I've learned, I've been patient. I broke, I built that equity. I performed. I know that I, I like, I've showed them that I, I do belong here. I show that I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the team, but now it's like, okay, I'm ready. And, uh, you don't want that moment to come too late yes yes that's true too you you don't want to just trust the process so much that the moment passed you by and you didn't Mm -hmm. you didn't you weren't aggressive enough to to grab it well um i am uh uh, i'm i'm looking forward to this week's episode of the sword city podcast on the wwe network this is the big one this is episode 10 it comes out on friday it's the last episode of the season um Mm-hmm. Any spoilers? Any reveals? I know there was a contest going on. Yes. Uh, yeah, we have um, the Dope Challenge. We yes. just released, uh, me and my uh, co-host Montezzi released the album GPS, Swerve City GPS album. Um, we're getting a lot of great reviews from it. We sent it out to a lot of our uh, industry brothers and friends like Flatbush Zombies. Um, shout out to Juice and Eric and Meech, you know, helped us a- kind of A&R'd our uh, music for mm-hmm. the year. You know, we've had Mickey Fax, who's one of the best lyricists in the world, step on an album and just like slaughter a track with them. We had a lot of help with guidance in this, but a lot of it was just our vision and trusting our gut, letting our, you know, like letting our, letting our a creative, our creative juices flow musically and, tr- and trying out different things. So I employ you all to go check out the, uh, the Swerve City GPS album. There's a track on there called Dope. And right now we're doing that. You can recite the lyrics to dope word for word without messing up. Send us the, uh, send us the, uh, the verse that you recorded, send it to our email. We'll play it on the final episode of the Swerve City podcast. So we need them submissions. It's a challenge. So it's y'all chance for our fans, WWE universe, NXT universe, y'all chance to get your face seen on the WWE network. So I implore you all to go check it out. Excellent. Excellent. And you don't want to give any spoilers as to who the last guest of, of Swerve City might be? Is that a surprise? Uh, it's a surprise because like it's, it's, two, it's two people from the wrestling world, one person from the wrestling world, one person from the music world you wouldn't expect to see in one episode. Okay. I can, that's all I can say. Okay. Now, is it a surprise yeah, because... That's what, that's what Swerve City is all about. Is it a surprise because you want to build hype or is it a surprise because I really hope this happens? Oh, it's happened already. Okay. It's, it's, it's All right. Happened. It's done. It's okay. Happened. Well, then I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> well, then I can't. Because yeah. I've, I've done that many times where I'm like, ah, you're going to have to yeah. wait and see. And it's because I'm like, I hope this doesn't fall through. I hope this doesn't fall through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This was uh, this was also a guest I've been trying to get for like the past year and a half, two years. So we finally got him in here. But yeah, this is a, this is an interesting like pair. Yeah. I should say. That's exciting. Well, I can't wait to see it, man. I'm uh, I'm very, very happy for your success, both with the podcast on the WWE Network 
And of course, with everything going on in NXT right now, I love, you know, same time the podcast is blowing up on the network. I'm not only seeing great matches from Swerve on NXT, but I'm watching a story develop and I'm like, oh boy, this is what I've been waiting for. We got some story going on here. We got some story elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. And I appreciate, yes. I appreciate the time, yes. man. Thank you. Join me. Join me on my journey, people. Yes, for sure. Thanks, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Sam Roberts. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.